anything could be done. And tragically, the thing was clearly very flat and very dead. They were heartbroken. This wonderful holiday was going to be forever tainted by this tragedy. But at this point, another car drew up behind them, and a woman got out to see what was clearly upsetting them. They could barely utter a word as they, they pointed to this poor creature on the floor. Don't worry, she said. She went back to her car and she got out a spray can. She came up and she sprayed over the animal very carefully. After a while, it opened its eyes and sat up and gave them a little wave. And they waved back. And then it hopped away a little way and turned around and waved again. And they waved back. And then it hopped away a little bit further, turned around and waved. And they felt very silly, but they kept waving back. And it went off. And the last thing they saw in the distance was its little paw waving, and they waved back. And the young man took the spray can from the woman to see what it was. It said, hairspray (laughs) revives dead hair and gives a permanent wave. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I, um, I heard that about 12 years ago at the beginning of a sermon, and I don't remember anything else the guy said. <laughs> so, uh, so I want you to take something else from this service rather than that, that joke. We're looking this week, I'll work out how this works, at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 to 20, in our series on Ephesians. Peter mentioned last week, that Paul has moved from the first half of this letter where he outlined doctrine to practical advice on how we should now be living. And if you were here last week, you'll remember Peter reiterating the fact that we should put off our old self of sinfulness and put on the new self of righteousness. And we should then move on into maturity. So I don't really need to say anything, do I? (laughs) Job done. Put off the old self, put on the new Move into maturity. I don't even know why there's a chapter 5 and a chapter 6. But then I suppose it's because Paul knew that the Ephesians would still make mistakes, and so will we. In spite of every good intention, we will face temptation. How can we avoid falling? We need to keep focused on what Paul is saying. We need to strive for wisdom to make the right choices. So let's read Ephesians chapter 5. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world, in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. 
Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul starts, For you were once darkness. This is a stronger term than he used in Romans 2, where he says, you are a light for those who are in the dark. In the dark, meaning people who are ignorant. They need to be shown the way. Whereas Paul says here that we were a person of darkness. He's meaning we were lost in sin. Again, like we heard last week, the story of the two wolves. Someone of darkness is feeding their sinful side. We should now be making a conscious effort to feed the light while letting the darkness starve. As believers, we are light. I painted our bathroom in the autumn. It was a really unpleasant day outside, so I thought I'd do that inside job I'd been putting off. But it was so dull outside that I couldn't really see what I was doing. And the next day when it had brightened up, I could see all the places I'd missed. I had to redo it. So, so much for buying one coat paint. The light showed up all my failings. We're light, and if we live by the light, it does show. Pliny the Younger was around in the first century. He saw Christians as the, the enemy, criminals, and yet he couldn't find any fault in them. And he wrote a letter, and he said... They sang in alternate verses a hymn to Christ as to a God and bound themselves by a solemn oath not to any wicked deeds but never to commit any fraud, theft or adultery, never to falsify their word nor deny a trust when they should be called upon to deliver it up. This is a non-Christian seeing the way Christians behaved. I've always been a bit of a coward when it comes to evangelism. I always tend to think the other person's going to have a stronger argument than me and I'm going to make my faith sound really feeble. When I was a, a young Christian, some guys in our youth group decided that we would all go to the pub to share our faith. <laughs> no, please. I mean, that's the last thing I wanted to do. But we went in pairs and the guy I was with would go straight up to people and he would just engage with them and very easily just chat about his faith, and I just hovered in the background eating my, drinking my orange juice. I was totally out of my comfort zone. I just wanted to go home. My faith has always been very much like the lyrics to a song that probably no one knows but me and Eric Nelson, who sang it. I heard him in a concert when he was supporting a more famous act, and the song went like this. I'm not going to sing it, by the way. Sometimes they laugh and are unkind. Others smile and say I lost my mind, but all I know is what I find. He gave me love. He gave me love for you. He gave me life and truth. He gave me love for you. Come take his love. But I wouldn't fancy saying that in a pub full of people who don't want to listen to me. I used to take my car to a local one-man garage for repairs and servicing. And I'm not aware that I ever said anything to him about my faith. But he knew I worked in a Christian bookshop. 
And one day he said to me, I wish I had your faith. I don't know what he saw in me, but there must have been something. Our behavior does apparently shine a light, even when we don't know we're doing anything different. So if you take nothing else away from this morning, think about whether there's anything in your behavior that you need to change. What fantastic words these are. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Fruit is what grows on a well-nurtured tree. Goodness, righteousness, and truth should grow naturally in us as Christians. Goodness. Is it that harm to aim to be good? In most situations, surely there's a clear right and wrong choice. Perhaps sometimes we need to follow the advice of waiting 10 seconds before we react to make sure we don't make decisions we would later regret. What would Jesus do was a question abbreviated to WWJD on wristbands and car stickers and various other places a few years back. Some people felt it was too flippant. But the original concept came from this book. And I'm very sad. This book, it it only fell apart last night. (laughs) But it was actually published in 1898. It's called Our Exemplar. Does anybody know this book? Of course course you do. (laughs) Um, So I found it amongst a pile of second-hand books when I was... First, first starting in selling Christian books. And I thought it was so good that I thought, I wonder if I can possibly get it republished. I think everybody ought to read this book. And then one day I was browsing through some books, actually in a, a publisher's warehouse, and I came across a book called In His Steps. Has anybody heard of In His Steps? Yeah. <laughs> a, a couple more. Well, it's actually the same book I discovered. And the amazing thing was I discovered that the author, Charles Sheldon, had deliberately not got copyright on the book so that as many people could publish it as as wanted to. So the book could be spread around the world. And it is something like the third most published book after the Bible and the Pilgrim's Progress. More than 50 million copies have been sold by more than 67 publishers and translated into at least 21 languages, including Russian. And there was me thinking, I might publish it. It's a story of a church whose life was turned upside down when a poor man interrupted the sermon one morning, saying, I've been knocking on the doors of all your houses during this week, and not one of you has even been bothered to listen to what my problem is. And moments later, he collapsed. And he said, what would Jesus have done if I'd knocked on his door? And soon afterwards, he dies. And in response, the church pledged to only make decisions after considering what would Jesus do. The way their lives are changed is a challenging story in every chapter. Now, when I used to uh, run a Christian bookshop, there was one local minister who often used to recommend books. And on Monday morning, I'd have people coming and saying, have you got this book? Have you got this book? No, because I didn't know. 
And I, I said to him one day, why don't you warn me of the books you're going to recommend and I can get them in? And he said, well, I only think about them on Saturday night. And that's what's happened with me. If I had thought I was going to recommend this, I would have made sure that I got some copies from Scroll Eaters. Uh, but do go and ask them for In His Steps. It is a book that will change your life. But we need to get into the habit of doing the right thing. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. So that's goodness. Righteousness, what's, what does righteousness really mean? Well, the dictionary meaning is the quality of being morally right and justifiable. But Will Mansell, who studied theology to a greater level than me, told me that righteousness is actually a made-up word. That when the Bible translators uh, were putting the Bible into English, they came across this Greek word that we didn't have a word to compare with it. So they made up the word righteousness. And that's why we have righteousness today. Maybe living a morally right and justifiable way takes a little bit of effort. But we should all <clears throat> always aim for the moral high ground. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. Surely we must be truthful in all things. Little lies always grow. I saw a film recently where a guy started telling a small fib, then he had to explain himself, so he had to expand on the lie a little bit more. And eventually the whole thing became totally preposterous. It would have been so much easier if you told the truth in the first place. But in the case of a film, it would have been pointless because it would have been very short. <laughs> <laughs> but then, oh, no, it's still in the same verse. Find out what pleases the Lord. It's so enjoyable pleasing the ones we love. Beverly loves to receive flowers, and I love giving them to her because I know how much she appreciates them, and we both feel good. What could we do for God that will make him feel good? We know he delights in our worship. But is there something that you know you need to be doing and you know he'll be pleased with you so that he can then say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. We shouldn't get involved with things that, are, that we know are wrong. We need to stand up against them. It can be a massive challenge and responsibility. Just think of Greta Thunberg. Look how taking a stand against climate change has affected her life. She says that as a 14-year-old, I've always been that girl in the back, who doesn't say anything. I thought I couldn't make a difference because I was too small. I thought this was a good picture because it does just show she's a little girl. You might not agree with her views nor her ways of protesting, but you can't deny that she has been noticed. We can learn a lot from her courage to stand out against what she believes is wrong. I've always been that little girl in the back who doesn't say anything. I thought I couldn't make a difference because I was too small. Is there something you believe you should be speaking out about? Doing something about? 
It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. Don't even mention other people's bad behavior. In other words, don't gossip. Well, gossip can be such fun, can't it? Especially if it pulls down someone we don't like. No, we mustn't do it. Even if it doesn't, does seem like fun. Not even if we think we're helping by sharing it for prayer. Think about why we're really sharing it. It isn't helpful to talk about the bad things we hear about. If we do anything wrong, we don't want to be seen. Most burglars work at night. Dark alleyways are places where dodgy dealings take place. Just think what effect a bright light suddenly has in those situations. And we are called to be the light for the world. Yes, that will expose what is wrong, but it will also also show the better way. It's far better to light up the good things in other people rather than exposing their faults and weaknesses. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Light cannot be overcome by darkness. It doesn't matter how dark it is, the light will always shine through. Even a single candle can be seen from miles away in pitch darkness. Darkness itself cannot extinguish the light. So, if we live in the light of Christ, we cannot be overcome by the powers of darkness. And we can be seen, however small we might feel we are. And another reminder from last week, because in spite of everything I've said, we will all fail. We do sin. We might not want to, but we were given these verses last week of reassurance from Psalm 130. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can with reverence serve you. It saddens me when we hear how people have been put off faith in Christ because of some problem they've had with the church. They might say the church is so condemning. But actually God is so loving and forgiving. In verse 14, Paul quotes from a song. Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It's felt that this is from an early hymn of the early church, based on Isaiah 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. It occurred to me that maybe Paul had this in mind when he started writing these thoughts down. Much as I'm expanding on Ephesians 5, is Paul actually preaching on Isaiah 60 through this whole chapter? Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. We read these things, but do we actually pay any attention? Be careful then how you live. How careful are we? Or how foolish? Compare this with Colossians chapter 4, where Paul says, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, 
Make the most of every opportunity. How do we get wisdom? Where do we get it from? Well, I believe we get it from our elders. We could all do well to have someone that we trust, whose life we respect, who would be willing to mentor us. I knew a man whose life was everything I would like to become. He wasn't faultless, but he showed amazing gentleness and humility. He learned to play the drums at age 70 because we had a group of teenagers in our church who started a band and they didn't have a drummer. Now, John would have grown up in a very traditional church style, singing very traditional hymns, but he could see that the church needed to move on with the times and he embraced modern worship. He wasn't one to say, well, that's not the way we used to do it. He was very knowledgeable and wise. I've always wanted to be like John, though I have no intention of learning the drums. He was a great mediator in disagreements. He wouldn't take sides. That could be so irritating when I wanted him to be on my side. But, you know, I wish I'd got to know him earlier and spent more time with him. Who can you look to? for help in gaining wisdom. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Debauchery, in case you're wondering, is described in the dictionary as overindulgence in sex, crazy partying, and wild nights. It doesn't say don't drink, but it does say don't get drunk. I haven't actually drunk alcohol since I was in my early 20s when I went on holiday with a group of Christian friends. Two of our party got drunk on different nights. These were people I had really respected. But they made complete idiots of themselves. Therefore, do not be foolish. I'd never drunk much, but I recognized at that time that these two who thought they could handle alcohol had behaved in a way that they would never have done when they were sober. I decided I didn't ever want to risk risk letting myself down in the same way. Now, things might have been different if orange juice or chocolate were alcoholic, because I'm not sure I could give those up. So I have no problem with people who enjoy the taste of an alcoholic drink. It's drunkenness and losing control of your senses that I would hope we all want to avoid. Instead, be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that the perfect alternative? I found this quote. In ordinary Christians, the Spirit dwells not in the mind that seeks the disturbing influences of excitement, but in the well-balanced prayerful mind Such a one expresses his joy not in drunken or worldly songs, but in Christian hymns of thankfulness. I'm aware that sometimes Christians can be seen as killjoys. Thou shalt not do this or that. But it doesn't have to be like that. We have freedom in Christ. As a fairly new Christian, I had a fantastic 21st birthday party where my new Christian friends mixed with my old non-Christian friends and colleagues. The music at my party certainly hadn't been Christian hymns of thankfulness, but neither had they been drunken worldly songs. 
Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Excuse me. When many of us were growing up, we probably read psalms in church each week, and we certainly sang hymns. In those days, I wasn't aware that any songs from the Spirit existed. Now we probably major on the songs of the Spirit, although perhaps Paul is referring to singing in the Spirit spontaneously, which perhaps we don't do a lot of here. And apart from a few classics, such as the one we sang earlier, we've lost a lot of the excellent hymns. But what about the Psalms? I remember reading the Psalms. Often we would read alternate verses, one side of the church and the other side. I thought we'd revive that now. So we're going to look at Psalm 95. And I'd like this side to read the white verses, the first verse, and this side over here to read the yellow verses. The, uh, the <laughs> Mine's gone blank, but <laughs> verses 2, 4, 6, and 8. <laughs> The even numbers is the word I was trying to say. (laughs) Um, So let's start over here. So read. No, stop, stop, stop. Because that's how I remember it. It's boring, isn't it? It's a real dirge. I thought that's not the way we're supposed to hear the Psalms, surely. And then I went to Bible college. And as I've said many times, I didn't learn much at that college. But I did learn a new word, a wonderful word, antiphonally. And more importantly, I learned what it meant. Antiphonally means reading alternately, but not alternate verses. Because I think all the Psalms are written with each verse broken into two parts. And these are meant to be read antiphonally a statement, and a response. So we're going to try that now. So I'm going to read the white half, and I want you all to read the yellow half. And I want us to do it with real enthusiasm. So I'd like us all to stand up. And I'd like to point out that your first words are let us shout. So let's do this with real enthusiasm. So I will begin. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us come before him with thanksgiving. For the Lord is the great God. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The sea is his, for he made it. Come, let us bow down in worship. For he is our God. Please remain standing if you're able to as we move into sung worship. The end of our reading said, make music from your heart. Make music from your heart implies that we're not just singing a song, but experiencing worship from deep within our souls. So let's do that now. <laughs> 